My friends in Christ, on a wall of my study hangs a crucifix I treasure. It caught my eye in an antique shop in Salzburg, Austria, and the moment I saw it, I fell in love with it. It's quite large and quite old, maybe as much as 300 years, give or take. And while you couldn't really call it high art, it's more folk art, it speaks to me and it stirs up very deep feelings. In the face of Christ, there is great sadness, great resignation, and great peace. His arms are all-embracing, and from his wounded side flows blood red and riveting against the dark wood of the corpus. The blood of Christ, the blood he willingly shed on the cross out of love for us, the precious blood of Christ, as the church likes to call it. But no matter how precious, the blood of Christ is not, I think, something we give a whole lot of thought to, not as much as we should anyway. We're a bit squeamish about blood. It has distasteful overtones, so closely associated is it with death, and we don't like to think all that much about death. But blood, my friends, is really more about life than death, as was clear in both the reading from the book of Exodus and the letter to the Hebrews. When Moses poured out the blood of the sacrificial animals on the altar and then sprinkled it on the people, he was in a dramatic way sealing God's great covenant with them, a covenant of life, a covenant in which they came to share in the very life of God. And in the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus becomes the mediator of a new covenant by offering himself to the Father, willingly pouring out his blood on the cross for one reason only, so that we might receive life, our promised eternal inheritance, in the words of the letter to the Hebrews. And then the reading from Mark's Gospel, while eating the Passover meal with his friends, Jesus takes bread, breaks it, and gives it to them, telling them that the bread is his body given for them, his body that was about to be broken for them on the cross. Then he takes a cup of wine, telling them that it is his blood that would be shed for them and for all, the cup of suffering that would mean death for him, but life for them the cup that he and they would one day drink new in the kingdom of heaven, when death would be no more, only life. Down through Christian history, whenever believers, including ourselves, have gathered to carry out the solemn command of Jesus, do this in memory of me, they have, we have, through the power of the words of Jesus, which live in the present as much as in the past, been mystically present at the Last Supper table as well as at the foot of the cross. And they, we, have been nourished by the bread that is his body given for us and by the wine that is his blood poured out for us. And deep down, my friends, we know that without the bread of life and without the cup of salvation, we are really deprived of life. We experienced this in a striking way during the pandemic, when for quite some time, we were completely deprived of the Eucharist. 
Some of us still are. And there is no substitute for it, is there? Not a live stream broadcast, no matter how well done, and ours are well done. Not a virtual Eucharist, not a so-called spiritual communion, none of these. No matter how much of a lifeline they may have been over these past months, none of them has taken place the place of the real thing. And they never will. No wonder more and more of us are returning to the cathedral for mass these days. I love to read stories about people for whom the Eucharist was literally a matter of life and death. Think of those faithful Catholics and intrepid priests during the Elizabethan persecution of the English Reformation times, when to celebrate the Eucharist was a near-death sentence, and often enough it was an actual death sentence. Still, with great courage, they gathered in homes where priests hid away in so-called priest holes, sometimes for days and weeks on end, for one reason only, to celebrate the Eucharist, to be nourished and fortified by the body and blood of Christ. They just couldn't live without it, and so they took great chances to have it. Closer to our time, and this is a story I owe to Father Timothy Radcliffe, former master of the Dominicans, closer to our time, during the Soviet communist regime in what was then Czechoslovakia, the Cardinal Archbishop of Prague shared a prison cell with Vaclav Havel, the playwright and future president of the Republic. To celebrate the Eucharist was, of course, absolutely verboten, but that did not deter the two of them. They would engage in what appeared to be a game of chess, but the queen's crown had a few drops of wine in it, and the king's crown a few tiny fragments of bread. Unbeknownst to their guards, the two of them celebrated and received the body and blood of Christ. To quote Father Radcliffe, quietly whispering, holy, 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 they participated in the liturgy of heaven. Dear friends, I hope these stories remind us of why we are here, why we need to be here, why we should long to be here. We cannot live for long without the Eucharist, any more than those brave Elizabethan Catholics could, any more than the Archbishop and the playwright could. The body of Christ is the bread of life. Without it, we starve. And the blood of Christ is our cleansing and our healing. Without it, we falter. We lack the strength we need to go on. As we celebrate this great feast of the body and blood of Christ, may we awaken to our need for the Eucharist, to what a gift the Eucharist is, and may we be filled with gratitude for this greatest of sacraments that is for us life, healing, and hope. <laughs>